Hey, you're listening to Guat Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is Season 14, Episode 290, Title: The Bread Wars of London. Subtitle, Other Things in Pursuit of the Real. In the Lord's Model Prayer for You and Me, one of the key phrases that Jesus teaches us to pray is the request from God in Matthew 6.11, Give us this day our daily bread. Out of all of the thousands of things Jesus could have focused on in this brief but huge spiritual instruction, He focuses our attention on food, and specifically bread. As I've been researching this podcast on food, there have been several things bouncing around in my head like a pachinko machine. If you don't know what I'm referring to, there's a link in the show notes to fill you in on the pachinko machine. Well, let me say right up front, I am far from being an expert on health, nutrition, and cooking, so this podcast comes from a Sato and not a sensei. I'm a learner and not a teacher master, unfortunately. You would think by my age I would have figured these things out, but in my defense, I do come from a long line of uneducated eaters of food. The food production machines of America have worked long and hard to master the methods of deception, substitution, synthetization, genetic engineering, and destruction of our food system. We don't need to cut the companies any slack who have done these things to our table. Most of their decisions on the surface are promoted as benevolent intentions to bring us a superior food production that is robust in output, predictability, reliability, and resistant to insect infestation or biological contamination and disease. But the opposite is true. The genetic engineering of our food has resulted in cabbage that is the size and weight of a medium bowling ball. The purpose of the modification has been to ship more weight per size in the same container. Cabbage sells by the pound, so if you can get more poundage from the same size of head that's shipped, you force the increased price per head on the consumer. Cut into a genetically modified head of cabbage, then cut into an organic head of cabbage and see the difference immediately. The modified cabbage is dense and hard. The leaves are compressed layer upon layer with no air gaps. The organic cabbage is much less compact inside and has air gaps throughout the head. The flavor for the real cabbage is much better. If you like cabbage, contrary to one website I researched, you can tell an important difference in the flavor. This podcast is not about GMO versus organic versus non-GMO. It's about trying to get back to real food. It's crazy to see how our entire structure of food is under assault from every direction. And my friend, if you haven't noticed, it's coming from every direction. From the genetic tampering, formula altering, ingredient manipulation, vocabulary reassignment. And by that, I'm talking about companies like the Hershey Company, who some time ago now uh, fought the federal government to try to get the definition of what makes chocolate chocolate changed. And they weren't successful, thankfully. But at the same time, now you see names on candy bars that says that it's chocolatey, which is not a governed word. And we read it to mean that it's chocolate. But in fact, it's not chocolate, but it's hints of chocolate. It's chocolatey in nature. But the politicization, the targeted elimination, and by that I mean things like people targeting to eliminate all beef, to eliminate cows from the planet, the viral contamination. Look at the chicken houses that are not contiguously related to each other in close proximity, but yet at the same time, this mysterious viral flu uh, pandemic that's throughout the entire aviary world. It makes you wonder, how is this happening? And on and on, the list of assaults on our food sources continue. 
There is so much to consider about what is happening to our food. It's overwhelming. In an effort to promote and advance equilibrium in your life, the last thing I want to do is overwhelm you. My friend, there is a moral, social, scientific, and hyper-capitalistic war. And by that, I mean, I'm an American. I'm a capitalist. But my friend, there is hyper-capitalism that will go beyond all moral constraints and common sense to get at the bottom dollar and to get as much dollar as they can. And that's happening in our food world. But hyper-capitalistic war going on in the most basic necessities of our lives, and that is food. The goal of today's podcast is to set the wheels in motion to encourage you to think before you eat and become a student of what you are putting in your body. You may already be at a place and can lecture me on the truth, but my friend, there is something here beyond all of this that God is saying to my spirit, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, the leadership of His Holy Spirit in all of this will be clear. What started all of this is a search for a specific website I had located in the past that amounted to a whistleblower's revelation of what the actual ingredients are in all the candies and snacks that you and I love to eat. And in that, one revelation gleaned from that website was the awareness that almost all of the candy we have to purchase here in the United States that we think of as chocolate is not real chocolate. I remember back on a mission trip I took to Venezuela. On the trip back to the airport from the interior, we picked up one of our indigenous partners who was coming back from another location. We were going to drop him off in his home area on our way back. He got on the bus and was excited that he was in a town that is known for making real chocolate. The chunk of chocolate he had looked different from anything I had ever seen. He bought the chunk to take back to his son. My translator informed me that what I knew as chocolate in America was not real chocolate. He said that we in America eat fake chocolate. (laughs) At that time, I thought perhaps he had a little bit of Venezuela pride going on. Then I checked out his report when I got home and found out what he was telling me was the truth. I've done a lot of research and have yet to find that very important website. A side note on all this is the stark reminder that the world presented to you and me from search engines is a small slice of the internet that actually exists. And the search engines are manipulating the outcome of the searches based on financial agreements with advertisers and business partners. So getting to the real truth on any question about interests that have to do with the large exchanges of money usually ends up with the answers being manipulated. I watched an interesting YouTube video recently from a guy who explains why you can't seem to find what you're looking for anymore when you go to the web and search the internet. Just because our FDA allows the sale of something doesn't mean it is healthy or safe to eat. There is a growing list of foods that are sold in the United States that are banned in other countries because of their health risks. People like me, who are from redneck states, have traditionally made disparaging comments and disregarded the actions of other countries who ban our products as overreaching socialistic countries who want to micromanage the population under their care and control. But my friends, some of the concerns regarding products sold in our country are real, and we need to slow down and take the time to pay attention to what we are doing when it comes to shopping for groceries and choosing the restaurants in which we eat. To narrow down my case in point, I direct your attention to the ongoing bread wars of the UK. I became aware of the bread wars just a few years ago. The original article I read piqued my interest because of something that happened to a real bakery whose home was in Fort Worth, Texas, a key city that was one of the two cornerstones that make up what we call the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. When I was a kid, we used to drive Interstate 30 from Arlington, Texas, which is in the heart of the Metroplex, westward through downtown Fort Worth, over to the west side of Fort Worth to what was called back then the traffic circle. That's where my grandmother's house was. 
One of the big treats on the drive was going past the Mrs. Baird's Bread Company that was located on the south side of the interstate. We learned where the bakery was located by paying attention to the buildings on the approach. Then we would, at the right time, roll down our windows and smell the luscious smell of bread baking. I can still remember that smell. 53 years ago, they made real bread. When I was in college in the late 70s, I worked for General Medical Supply, who had an ostomy store located in the large hospital district of downtown Fort Worth. We sold only supplies for cancer patients who suffered from colon cancer. We were right around the corner from Mrs. Baird's bakery. The butler who assisted one of the remaining Bairds would shop for their cancer supplies at our store. I believe it was for Vernon. I remembered the assistant telling me that Vernon would have a loaf of fresh bread pulled every day from the batch that was being baked. He would slice it open and smell it. Then, based on his trained sense of smell, he then ordered adjustments to their daily baking procedures. Now pause just for a moment for a backstory. Mrs. Baird's Bakeries, Inc., founded in 1908, is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Grupo Industrial Bimbo, a Mexican multinational corporation and the largest baking company in the world. The namesake and founder of Mrs. Baird's Bakeries, Nina Nini Lila Harrison, she went by the name Nini, started baking when she was living with her aunt in Trenton, Tennessee. When Nini was 17 years old, she married William A. Baird, a farmer and later restaurateur. After they married, the Baird family moved to Fort Worth in 1901, where William ran a succession of small restaurants. During this period, Nenny baked bread for her family and neighbors. By 1908, William, who suffered from diabetes, was unable to work regularly due to his declining health, and Nenny began selling her bread to supplement the family's income. By 1910, Nenny was baking in a wood-burning stove in a small wooden building behind the family's house. Her sons assisted with baking and making deliveries. William converted the family's Phaeton buggy into a delivery wagon, and the family hired a neighbor to make deliveries and sales for them. Nenny's son Hoyt later took over as delivery driver. Nenny also began selling a wide range of baked goods. In 1911, five days before Christmas, William Baird died from blood poisoning, but Nenny continued working with the children on the growth of their home business. The demand for Nenny's bread expanded, and in 1915, with a commercial gas-fired oven purchased from the Metropolitan Hotel for $75, $50 of which was paid for with baked goods, in other words, exchanged, the family could bake approximately 45 loaves of bread at once. Around 1917, the family purchased and modified a Ford automobile for use as a delivery truck. They also took on their first wholesale clients. 42 years later, by 1959, the company owned five plants and six million pounds of bread were produced every week. Each plant was supervised by a male Baird family member. Although the continuous baking process, which involved chemically inducing bread to rise faster, was introduced in the late 1950s, Mrs. Baird's never adopted the process and allowed its bread to rise naturally with yeast. By 1976, the company purchased a bread plant in San Antonio, with this expansion, Mrs. Baird's had a plant in every major city in Texas except El Paso and could reach three-fourths of the population of Texas. By 1980, the company employed more than 2,500 people. In 1994, Mrs. Baird's and Grupo Bimbo launched a joint venture called QFS Foods to market the parent's company's baked goods nationally. In February 1996, Mrs. Baird's was found guilty of price-fixing for which the court imposed a fine of $10 million. Class action lawsuits following this decision sought damages totaling $100 million.
The next month, in March of 1996, Mrs. Barrett filed for bankruptcy protection under Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. The petition claimed assets of $95 million and liabilities of $14 million. The strategy worked for Mrs. Barrett's, which settled the lawsuits for $18 million. Mrs. Barrett settled with the state of Texas for $600,000. The deal freed the company from previous and related claims and did not involve an admission of guilt. But in follow-up, the federal antitrust investigations prompted the company to reorganize. The company restructured and Larry Wheeler became the first president and CEO who was not a member of the Baird family. In 1998, Mrs. Baird's was acquired by Grupo Bimbo. At the time of acquisition, Mrs. Baird's Bakeries was the largest family-owned bakery in the United States. My friend, what a tragedy. With the demise of Mrs. Baird's bread was the demise of her famous real bread. Now fast forward to the beginning of the 2000s. I was pastoring a church in Arlington, Texas, and had a family join our church. The husband, Dad, was a bread man for Mrs. Baird's Bakery. I learned that as a bread man for Mrs. Baird's, there was a real skill to be successful as a route salesman. You didn't just pick up bread at the factory and deliver it to the stores. You had to develop an understanding of the buying habits at each store and deliver just enough bread to stock the shelves for the day because the next morning's delivery to that same store required you pull any remaining bread. Remember, Mrs. Baird's bakery made real bread. It had no preservatives. So any remaining bread on the shelves the next day had to be pulled and then taken to their day-old bread stores. The bread was discounted to get it sold before it started to dry out and mold. Up until that time, I did not know that that was the reason for the day-old bread stores. It wasn't a marketing ploy. It was a real need to try and get some money back on daily overstock. That is also why you had to make it to the day-old bread stores early, because once the discounted bread was gone, it really was gone. One day, the bread man came to church very sad and clearly dejected in his spirit. By that time, I had become good friends with this man. I asked him what was wrong with him, and he told me that he could not, would not be a part of selling fake bread. I asked him to explain. He said that the bakery acquiring Mrs. Baird's was changing the formula to inject enzymes into the bread, which would keep the bread soft to the squeeze, which is how people back then gauged freshness. The enzyme would lengthen the shelf life to where the bread could sit there for a massively extensive period of time and not mold and appear ruined but in fact it was old and tasteless. The bread instantly, with that sale of the company, changed in flavor, no longer having the fresh baked taste. It could be made in the factories in Mexico and then shipped to the U.S. market, all the while aging with that fresh squeezed feel. It took me a while to fully understand the dramatic shift that happened the day Mrs. Baird's company made a greedy decision. A true culinary icon and reality disappeared. But it all began to make sense when I ate the fresh-baked breads from the panaderias in Venezuela, pan meaning bread in Spanish. The bread was like eating a meal in itself. Then someone reminded me that it was real and not fake bread. Oh, uh, like Mrs. Baird's used to make. Now, fast forward from 1998, the year of the demise of the largest family-owned bakery in the United States, to 2023, and the continued bread war over fake bread where it is going on in full force in the United Kingdom. And Alice Murphy's news article on the independent website featured on August 26, 2022. It was titled, War of the Loaves, Bizarre Battle Over Sourdough Breaks Out. In that article, she chronicles the ongoing battle by the organization Real Bread Campaign. The Real Bread Campaign group identified a group of 15 loaves and products it calls Sourfo instead of sourdough which it says are not genuine. A campaign which calls on sellers to market 100% authentic sourdough 
wants a government review on bread laws. It's a big deal to many people in the UK who want their real bread back. I have a link in the show notes for the full article and a link for the Real Bread campaign. Just in the last two weeks, my oldest son, who is a culinary enthusiast, and by that I mean for Christmas and birthdays, he loves to receive cookbooks. His wife buys him hardback cookbooks that are written by the great chefs of the world, and he's learning the skills to really cook, to real cooking. He made a sourdough starter and is beginning to make real bread. He has given us a sourdough starter for us to begin making real bread. Friend, this is just one small but important component of our foodstuffs that is under assault. Most people don't know there is a food war going on. And what is even sadder, they don't even care that most of the food wars have already been fought and lost. And they are being the ingesters of synthetic substances that lack in real nutrition and that in some cases are causing health maladies of all kinds. We are all busy and taxed to the max and our spare time is at a premium. But at the end of the discussion, we have a moral responsibility to stay informed and educated regarding the fuel we put in these human bodies, which the Bible tells us, if we are Christians, are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The good news, as we begin to care and educate ourselves about the truth, we will eat healthier, we will eat real food that tastes amazing, and we'll spend less money doing it. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace and bon appetit.